Welcome to Self Worst. This is a podcast about, well, it's about a lot of things, really. It's about inspiration, creative block, day jobs, bad habits, mental health, capitalism, trauma, art, spiritualism, imposter syndrome, perfectionism, meritocracy, blah, blah, blah. Each week, artists, designers, losers, dirtbags, musicians, degenerates, comedians, actors, fuck-ups, scholars, crazies, filmmakers, veterans, sluts, commies, weirdos, activists, addicts, teachers, fatties, queers, and all other types of beautiful people. Join me, Brad Pearson, as just some dumb guy, in a discussion on what to do with this stupid, sacred life. Play the music! Are you blessed or are you cursed with a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst? Do you want to confide about the darkness inside? Come and talk about it on self worst Hello, 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 hello. Hi, everybody. Look. We got new music. Isn't that exciting? Shea Bartel, uh, our musician, wrote us some more uh, nice, soothing, dulcet tones to go under my voice. That's very nice. Look, look at us. We're, we're improving in 2021. It's a whole new us. So I want to get right to our guest, Henry Zhang. Um, he's a doctoral student in psychology at Rutgers a martial artist. He is on the spectrum, the autism spectrum, and has ADHD. Uh, if you couldn't tell by his name, uh, he is Chinese American as well. Uh, and that's, I only say that because that's an important part of what we're going to talk about. In light of um, everything that has been going on really this past year, uh, I mean, since the beginning of the pandemic with the spike in anti-Asian violence and hate crimes and discrimination um it's been really fucking fucked up is my eloquent way of putting it and you know i have some thoughts on the matter obviously uh but i'm not i'm going to spare you the rants before the interview i want to just get right to our main guy uh, I want to let him speak to this issue. I feel like that's the better thing. I don't know. I feel like he's got more to say about it. But being as how this is my podcast, I, I'm going to talk about it after the interview. If you want to stick around after the show, after the main interview segment and hear my thoughts, my dumb thoughts on it, go ahead. You're welcome to. I'd love it if you did. But... I want to just get right to uh, the interview with Henry Zhang, if we could. Probably, yeah, definitely, these, especially with the recent events. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, well, it's good timing. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Is it's just it's never it's never a fucking good week anymore, is it? You know, it's just no, no, it's just insane. 
So yeah, uh, we we are here with Henry Zhang. Uh, he is a doctoral student at Rutgers studying psychology, um, and he is a martial artist. And uh, most recently, uh, is, is the way I met him is he uh, trains with uh, this guy Gorilla Vinny um, in kickboxing, and so I reached out to him uh, to learn about the uh, Dragon Combat Club that he started, um, teaching uh, people in the Asian American Pacific Islander community about self-defense. Uh, hi, Henry. How you doing? You know, yes, Reese. Yeah, I've been teach. I've been doing martial MMA on and off for ten years. Uh, Muay Thai, wrestling, jujitsu, and then. Uh, boom, 2020 hit, right? I wasn't, I didn't have any official instructor ranks. I had the blue belt BJJ, which is the second lowest rank, but a I blue belt, blue belt, yeah. That's so you pretty can good. Like if, if, yeah, if the coach doesn't show up, yeah, sure, you can run class if no one else is there. But you know, I, I've competed in wrestling. Um, I've also done Muay Thai for a while, but the thing is, is that it's like I never competed in Muay Thai because I, I didn't like to diet that much. So it's like <laughs> I love food too much. I'm more than Muay Thai, so I never competed. So I can't never call myself a Muay Thai coach or, you know, but. 2020 right. Hit, right and then everyone i was watching people get like really fucked up like like get beat, get beat up you know for the ethnicity and like nobody was helping out not even our own so i'm like you know what i'll start my own like remote club um i already knew how to teach people tech skills over zoom i already had this business called time hacks and i'm like all right let me just teach people how to fight over to <laughs> over or remotely and then it, it kind of took off basically and, yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, man. Um, we'll get into all of that in a minute. I just want to do uh, like a little quick like background uh, origin story on you. Uh, tell us about like, um, you know, uh, where you're from and uh, uh, how long you've uh, lived in. You're, you're a native New Yorker, right? Uh, technically, yeah. I mean, okay, I came here when I was five. I, 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 so I, basically. I was born in China. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm practically a New Yorker. I don't, by the time I, like, I read, like, I, by the time I showed up, you know, like I, I picked up, I got out of ESL after like one year, which is apparently very fast, um, you know, and then, you know, I just, I, I spoke English, you know, in school and then I only spoke Cantonese at home, but yeah. And then I, I basically, yeah, I grew, I basically grew up in New York City. I uh, went to, I moved around a bit. I went to Brooklyn Tech uh, High School and then, you know, I went to college there. The, so childhood was just really rough. So um, as you read my story, I am on the, I'm on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. You're just saying that if you know one person with autism, you you know one person right and i think you know i've met i've met occasional people with similarities with me like i've heard stories but that's really in throughout my professional career which is um i've realized that's really not true right so um for example so i kind of talk about where i came like at least where i came from uh where i when i first arrived here right um I wasn't able, like I picked up all the academic material very well. Um, I was able to multiply up to 11 when I was five. Uh, I was able to do it like that, right? And people thought I was cheating, but I really wasn't. Um, I can also, I can also, I also have this thing where I can, even if I'm not, um, I can basically, I know where things are in space, even if I don't see them, because I, I can triangulate things. I can essentially, I have a mental, I have like a mental, G, I have a built-in GPS in my head, which is very handy, you know, for navigation purposes. But also not very conducive for social life. If let's just say, I assume that you know something, but then you don't, and then I get angry, right? So I'm like, "What the fuck do you mean? Like you don't know where West is? Like you know?" And then I, right. like, or like you don't, like you don't, <laughs> or like you know, you know, I mean, when multiply faster, if someone else didn't know that, oh, like I would, you know, I would wouldn't say the nicest things. That would piss them the fuck off, and you know, 
wasn't really good for making friends and whatnot. Also, I was fat, so I got picked off for being oh, fat. Boy. So I was like, how yeah. long? How long did it take you to kind of learn those lessons of, uh, you know, setting oh, in with socialization? And <laughs> I, I didn't even know there was something. I, here's the. I mean, I also have ADHD as well. That's mm-hmm. me, me too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey. Um, yeah. That wasn't a thing back. That was not like I didn't hear about that back then, actually. Um, because um, yeah, I have very yes, yeah, so and what happened was was that um, throughout, uh, I never read a single. I never had any reading comprehension skills until I took meds when I was nineteen. Um, how I ended up taking meds is a different story, right? Um, when I was so throughout my entire academic career, I was like like from like you know elementary. As soon as picture books started going out of the way. Right, they became like just word books. I read the words, I sounded them out perfectly. You know, even when I learned Spanish, but I didn't know what the hell they meant. I, I had no comprehension whatsoever because I have it. So I was able to get through school because I just like heard what the teacher said, and then like I'm able to remember it like very well, or I just came up at the right time, or I'm able to do pattern this work, or like even like tests. Right, um, they would try to like have these alternate tests for like one, you know, like form A and form B where allegedly you couldn't cheat right because one to 25 was there 26 to 50 and vice versa the, the problem is is that they assumed i wouldn't figure that out just by a single glance just because of my other my other skills so that's kind of how i got by, got by so you have almost of, uh, a, a photographic memory you can glance at something once and pretty much pretty much know the yeah. whole thing yeah wow. for, for, for many things yeah, yeah yeah and also not you know it's instant thing uh also pattern recognition i can recognize certain patterns that most people are not able to perceive, which mm-hmm. is very, which became very useful later on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that has its uh, uh, its advantages Oops. in 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 fight sports, in in, in martial arts, you know, oh, learning patterns yes. and stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, I so uh, yeah. So once I so I guess I'm definitely going to get into that in a bit. So when I was 19, right, I got kicked out of school because my whole pattern recognition alone wasn't able to uh, get me through school right and then they right me through an email. i heard about and this yeah. um so you you got kicked out uh because you you would you had been you, you had learned how to basically kind of juke the system um yes and and you know like it, it's it's interesting because you're you're obviously really intelligent and you're picking up on the patterns and you're you're for all intents and purposes, learning the thing that they're trying to teach you, but mm-hmm. you're not really learning like the why of it, I guess, is what sure. was happening. The why? And so or once the, the question of the why came up, then then it was a problem. It wasn't just a why. It was also a matter of like, also also like, like I knew the how rather than the what. Let's put it that way. Mm. <laughs> so that was, so by the time I was 19, that, that didn't work out anymore. So I got kicked out of school. Uh, I guess sent to neurologist and they're like, oh, you you're you have this thing called Asperger's. That's what they used to call it, right? Asperger's. Um, it's now just autism spectrum disorder, right. like level one, two, and three. Um, now it became, and I'm like, oh, okay. And I did, and but there was no meds for that, and you couldn't diagnose that with ADHD at the same time. Back when we were doing what we called the DSM four diagnostic statistical manual, mm-hmm. right? Because they had to sort of go by that as like their bible, even right. though it changes right which is kind of weird but <laughs> um but i mean that's what you got to do right once it's science right and whatnot but i'm sure some people who don't like the five but anyways now you can diagnose adhd and autism at the same time not so much back then so they just diagnosed adhd but i also had to learn about myself i'm like oh that explains all the problems i had back then like that time when 
this girl told me I only like you as a friend. And then I thought, hey, she only likes me as a friend. Let me just like keep following her until she likes me. And that didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> so stuff like that. <laughs> That'll happen. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, like that's that's also, I mean, you can chalk that up to also just teenage awkwardness. Because I, I think everybody kind of, you know, has those uh, times in, in, in adolescence when you when you don't quite get it. And you think back on it and you're just like, ooh. Oh boy, like that was uh that was awkward. I shouldn't have done that, but you know. Yeah, that was the moment I started to. Yeah, that was the moment I started to really think back um, about it. And then around that time, I was I started um, doing martial arts uh, on and off. Uh, I started Western boxing actually. Around when you were nineteen. I was nineteen. Yeah, yeah. So this is two thousand seven actually. Um, it was with a friend of mine. He wanted to kind of use me as like a pet project. Um, he he was a, he was, you know, but I had. It was interesting because I learned a pattern very quickly, but I was just clumsy. So if you ever watched the, the anime Naruto, there's a guy named uh, there's a guy named Sasuke where he could basically copy any technique, but his body has to be physically capable of it. But with most anime characters who aren't, you know, he was fit. I wasn't. So it was it was just clumsy. It was like it was, so it was like I knew what I was doing, but my body wasn't listening to me. Right. And I kind of had that issue. I had that issue like throughout my through until 2020, right, where. I was able to pick up, I was able to, I joined Evolution Muay Thai when that was uh, 2010. That was, that's, that was my home gym for 10 years. Amazing gym. Uh, crew Brandon Levi, you know, great person. Um, you know, you say, I, I, joined, I joined his gym and then, um, what was I going to say again? Right. So I generally gravitate towards techniques that I, you didn't need athleticism for. Like if you needed, like you, I, if you, not athleticism, you didn't need like a level of like, finesse for right like where i could uh for example double like takedowns boom right you asked me to do a baron bolo where it's like a rolling technique you tangle up nope i, I couldn't like i know the pattern for it, my body just doesn't listen but i could pick up certain moves ridiculously fast and other ones it's like like the judo sweep the basic judo sweep it took me oh, months and months to get but a double leg i was able to pick up in like a day and like, and then my coach, my wrestling coach was, so what happened was that my wrestling coach, Gene Koblansky, like he would be really, he would be really shocked and impressed. And I, I could see like the guy, uh, we had a guy named Gary St. Ledger, also great judo coach, but my body just didn't listen. So like there was a lot of leg coordination stuff. I'm like, oh, and yeah. Yeah, you tell him, like, oh, God damn it. So it, it was very, um, it's very interesting when you like all these skills, it's like, I have like my brain can process many very complex things, but my body's just clumsy as shit. So um, you were diagnosed uh, when you were 19? I was not. So that's what I thought, right? And right. then it turned out that the thing with Chinese Americans is that um, they don't believe in mental health mm -hmm. or they stigmatize the shit out of it. And then I discovered that when I was eight, I had an eval. And that uh, they never told me the results because my mom didn't want me to get services because she was afraid that it would affect my future. Wow. Uh, so it's a whole labeling thing. So yeah, that was a weird plot twist. And then... Yeah, it was a very strange plot twist I found out when I was uh, 19. <laughs> what did that feel like? I mean, like knowing that that was just sort of kept from you this whole time and, and it explained, it seems like it explains so much about what you were going through. Oh, God. I, I you know, I, I just did my, I wasn't like angry or anything. I'm just like, fuck it. You know, and there was a lot, there's a lot of regret. Like, oh, shit, I could have, what could I have I done? But then I'm just like, whatever, I'm just like, cash up. Just gonna try to do what I can to catch up, you know. Just trying to climb about out of that hole, uh, which I kind of did, you know. I went from a 1.7 GPA uh, when I got kicked out of school to a 3.0, which was just barely enough to apply for a master's program. 
because no master's program is going to accept your GPA under a three, right? And then I, I, I made it one point seven right to a three just a time. You just clinched it. Um, yeah, just clinched. So, can you talk a little bit about the differences and similarities between ADHD and autism spectrum? Um, because I, I think that there's a, a ton of similarities. As somebody who was diagnosed with a, a ADHD fairly early in life, I was diagnosed when I was like five. Um, oh, wow. okay. and, but throughout my life, I've, uh, formed a lot of, I don't know, alliances with, with like spectrumy kids, because I think mm -hmm. we, we end up having a lot in common. Right. Um, there's, I mean, on, on the surface, it almost like on the surface, it's like, oh, they have trouble paying attention, but you can really say that about any, anything, right? Anxiety, right. A PTSD, depression, right? I mean, but the, the, the sort of reason that becomes why, like, is it sort of sustained attention or is it the fact that your attention goes to some goes somewhere else instead right and that's really something that like really has to be teased out right are you do you have trouble paying attention for a long time or are you just so hyper focused at a particular thing that you don't care about what you're supposed to focus on right which it could be which i've actually seen has been the case for both ADHD and also for autism, right? Just there's that thing. Even the social difficulties, right? Um, if you're if you have ADHD, you may know the cues, but you may not pick up on it in time because you're not you're not paying attention now consistently, right? As opposed to if you're in a spectrum, you could also not be picking up on the cues, and at the same time, you may not have known them to begin with, right. or you may not have known them to begin with unless it was explicitly taught to you, right? So there's a skill there's there are some skill differences. But then obviously you, but in both disorders, typically you end up having performance-based difficulties, right? So some, because you can have a skill and not be consistent with it, or the skill wasn't there to begin with, or you just haven't learned a skill yet. Hmm. Um, as somebody who is, you know, uh, uh, what's the term? Neurodivergent, um, yeah. studying psychology, um, you know what what is that like it's it seems sort of meta to me you know it is very meta it's helped me learn a lot about myself like what what is i guess not i'm not really care about what's atypical or whatnot um but really like what's dysfunctional like what is what is i'm trying to learn like what is there about me that's getting me in the way of me having a job getting <laughs> you know um you know or going through school right that's what i'm trying to that's what i think it's do right you're trying to sort of understand uh, the underlying difficulties or why and then you kind of try to figure out what other people have in common and what they don't have in common with you and that's yeah i think i think most people when they first start psychology they usually gravitate towards you know things that they can relate to right and then they sort of branch outwards right right um so can you talk a little i heard you talking on a, a different podcast about um how you have learned to sort of code switch um as right. a person on the spectrum um can you talk a little bit about that i think that's an interesting concept because i find myself doing that sometimes too just depending on who i talk to <coughs> excuse me um i was forced to code switch uh i also once i learned i was on the spectrum i realized that i can't talk about martial arts movies all the fucking time right i can't talk about some assessment interest all the time mm -hmm. right because i was scared of people fuck away i realized that neurotypicals expect you to listen right for you to care rather than just talking on, on, on like okay and then i realized that okay there are multiple frames of reference right 
just because I have these splinter skills where I can see certain patterns that other people can't, doesn't mean the other person does, right? And now I'm like, okay, I need to really use that patient to sit the fuck down and explain it to them, right? So there are some people that sort of understand like when I talk without having to code switch or adapt to them. But then I started realizing, okay, you have to do it for other people. And now you realize, oh, you have to do that for different groups of people while sort of maintaining fidelity, right? You don't want to obviously tell one person like one thing then the other person a completely other thing when they're both lies or one of them is truth and the other's a lie. But you, I've come to realize like, oh, you have to explain the truth in a very different way to, um, to different people, right? Mm-hmm. I realized that's like people, like I realized that as an adult, that that's a very, that's sort of an important uh, people skill. Um, come 2020, I can, I've actually come to realize that uh, a lot of people, I realized that there's a gap in communication between uh, different people, different beliefs. This is particularly within the Asian American community uh, of what racism is, right? What racism is uh, versus, and that sort of creates a lot of problems that we have today. I might, I might jump back here, but what current, what has, a lot of people have asked, uh, why is it that they never heard about anti-Asian racism for an entire year? Sure, you can say white supremacy, right? You can say that. I'm not doubting it. And at the same time, it's also how it's educated many individuals, right? Because of that same system. Why is that? Because everyone taught when a person talks about racism, we don't know what, what they're talking about, right? We don't know if it's interpersonal racism, cultural racism, or systemic racism, right? Right. When you have these people in ivory towers talking, they assume it always means systemic racism. And when we get attacked, when Asian Americans get attacked, there becomes two problems. One, not all of our attackers are white. B, there are some people who think Asian Americans are white adjacent. So instead of empathizing and realizing that there's a problem with A, interpersonal racism, and B, cultural racism, they're just like, oh, well, it's not systemic racism. It's not racist. We're just going to let all these elderly and all these women get fucked up, and we'll find excuses not to do anything about it. Yeah. But they don't. They don't think that. But they're saying. But that's that's their actions. Because why? They haven't figured out the the people who are in these ivory towers, who we refer to as boba liberals, didn't realize that they are supposed to code switch when they talk to regular fucking human beings. And that's one of the things I came to realize. Can you explain the term boba liberal real quick? Okay, so I am, so I want to kind of use myself as a frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, so I am actually, as you know, you read my stories, I'm, a, I'm clearly like a left-leaning person. That's, yeah. you know, because I have ethics, I care about, you know, human rights and shit. Um, so what's the difference between a boba liberal and I? So boba liberal comes from, boba comes from uh, the, the short term for bubble tea, right? Um, right. It's sweet, it really lacks substance. So it's like sort of like a fake Asian. <laughs> Um, now with, with that being said, I want to sort of preface that if you are Asian American, you know, you're Asian American, right? But there are individuals who are, the reason why they're considered fake is because they're not aware of our struggle, right? They're not, they don't, they will have a lot of them. They live in the suburbs. They live in the suburbs and consequently what they know of Asian Americans is the fact that they were probably the only Asian American or, or sort of. They're disconnected from like people who grew up in Chinatown or China, various Chinatowns where it's the Bay Area, New York City, or like the urban areas, right? Mm-hmm. So they grow up and all they learn about Asian Americans is in the, the model minority, right? The six, 
they first hear, oh, we're the successful minority, we're the good ones, right? And then they read about it and they're like, oh, they lied. They said we're good minorities. So therefore we must be the oppressors, right? We must be the ones that are, you know, that are actually benefiting from white supremacy, you know, at the expense of others. So now they've decided to, now these, these individuals who are global liberals, in their attempt to sort of fight racism, they decide to identify themselves as white, hmm. right? So when we get attacked by everyone, you know, by everybody, they're like, oh, well, that's not really racism, you know? And, and you kind of see the other problem is that there's classism in, involved. Yeah. These individuals who do have a platform, who are an Ivor, who are in politics, who write for MSNBC Asian America, right? They assume that their experiences were, you know, the most racism they'll experience is is verb like we're, you know, like like your name calling, which is horrible by the way, or like being fetishized, which is also horrible by the way. I'm not condoning any of that right, or saying that. Right. It's we don't want to minimize but that, but not realizing know. the level of violence. Yeah, but not, but yeah, they think that that's all the racism that there is, right? When it's not true, right? That's mainly untrue. That's been historically untrue. And yet when they hear sort of all these people say, hey, we're king, they're like, oh, you guys need to check your privilege when it's, right? When they're not the, when, you know, it's obviously, it's the people up there who haven't been there, who because of just, they're like, oh, they're Asian. They think because they're Asian and they've never faced, you know, these difficulties that I'm literally training people to fight that it doesn't apply to the rest of the right apply to everyone. Right. Right. So those were, those were basically global worlds. And strategically, so these have historically been the people who spoke up for my community or that we were waiting to advocate for us. Problem was, was that when you have someone that is brought up like that and doesn't think there's anything wrong with that, guess what? They end up selling us out. They, when we get it, you know, when um, 45 called, um, you know, the, you know, the COVID-19 yeah, COVID one. <clears throat> the China yeah. virus. You know, the the blue, slur, which I, by the way, I'm hearing that people don't like, people don't want to hear that sort anymore. So I'm not, I don't want to speak on behalf of them, but, you know, I'm just like, okay. And then we started getting attacked by everyone. Even in March, I started, I, 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 I did MMA for 10 years. I saw people getting stabbed in the store, getting jumped. Uh, I started ordering my tactical flashlight. That was the first uh, force multiplier tool I got. And during that time, you would assume that these people who were like our spokespeople for dealing with racism would say something. No, nah, no, no. They were just like, oh, you need to check your privilege. You need to check your anti-blackness, which by the way, we totally do. Like, I'm not, like that's like we, it's, we're human. We're, you know, there's a lot of fucking horrible things about human beings and we need to work on that period yeah. but that's not something you use to justify why you're silent when our elders get stabbed shot sound fire and, yeah. and, and, and etc and what happened was that because of this right you would imagine that there would be an opposite reaction right the people who were essentially who watched the relatives get the shit being at them were like well they decided to voice their anger but in a way that was unacceptably anti-black, really racist, right? And those were basically the two factions, right? right? Either sort of super racist or fake woke. Right. And it seemed like at the time, if you were just on the internet or just hearing a dialogue, that that was the only two options that you could pick as an Asian American. Mm. 
And I couldn't do that because, A, I almost got into a fight in Chinatown with, my, with just a flashlight. If had I walked in there five minutes earlier, cops probably would have arrested me for fucking people up <laughs> rather than me going like, hey, why are the police here? Um, but then B, I, I grew up at Evolution Muay Thai and I've had black coaches, I've had black training partners. You know, I'm not, it's not the black friend card. It's just that if you've trained with me, then if I, you know, if you train me, then like I have to at least look out for you as a fellow human being, right? So obviously I refused to fall into that rhetoric. Right. And that drove me nuts. So I decided to create my own club, which is Dragon Combat Club. Where I took, you know, I just we just did basic MMA. At first, it was just basic MMA drilling, uh, you know, every day, uh, every morning, you know. And then I lost thirty pounds uh, over the first few months. Nice, because uh, I was training every day, and it dealt it it fixed my coordination problem. So my body was, I well, my body wasn't able to do kicks before. Suddenly, like it was able to. So now my ability to understand patterns was enhanced because my body was finally listening to me. Yeah, that's hard. That's the hardest part is getting into the right kind of shape in order to even do the thing. That's what I've learned. Like I've only been doing it for a very short time. I've just started. Basically, I'm 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 a noob on in every sense of the word. With when did I start? Uh, like late. I want to say like around 2019. Um, okay. I started doing kickboxing. Yeah. Um, like just like it's basically like you know just like adapted Muay Thai. Um, yeah. and as soon as. I'm able to do so safely. I want to start practicing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, but it's, it's really hard. And it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm already like fairly intimidated by the aspect of it, but I've also been doing weight training, like kettlebell strength training mm -hmm. and like getting my body conditioned yeah. enough to like actually do that stuff because I mean, like what I've found, especially for me, is just like kicking is just like a no go. Like I, 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 I have like the okay. hip flexibility of like C three PO man. Like I can't fucking, I can't throw a okay, kick over Lord. my head. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm too I'm right. Too creepy. That takes that takes time. Uh, yeah. So with DCC, that's so eventually we went from an MMA club that was sort of for a person self defense to a self defense club that had MMA as sort of its core training method. Hmm. So the question is, what changed? A lot remains. So uh, mostly how we advertised ourselves. We went from an MMA club to a self-defense club. Um, I, because now what's the difference? Really, no, it's just the audience, right? Because I, I was really disturbed at what we were offering versus what other people passed up as self-defense. And this was not, this is not me. This is not me as an MMA guy trying to impose my you know views on other people this has been the consensus of individuals who have taken self-defense workshops and then have trained with me afterwards yeah um what what they do out there is that they'll do the like they'll want the good ones they'll do de-escalation which you should right situational awareness which yeah. you should bystander training which you should that the good the keywords the good ones right but then afterwards afterwards they'll be like oh just hit the person in the eye, the drill, the groin. That's all you can do. And the implication is that if you are a woman, that's all you can do, right? When and you're like, oh, and then that's it. That's self-defense. Bye. Right. And that that wasn't thank you. That was a message that I got yesterday from uh, after I, I trained after I trained like a, about a hundred people uh, this weekend. And what's wrong with that? Actually, so it's it's not what's wrong with those ideas. It's what's wrong with how it's being trained. At DCC, what we do is that we call what we call a three-phase protocol, right? The first part being situational awareness and de-escalation, you know, and whatnot, and also now upstander training, because 
we need to make sure that people know what to do when they see shit happen. Like, right. We're training you. Like, you like what we shit. just saw this week with the woman getting kicked yeah, and nobody did 60, anything. Yeah. If you see a 65-year-old lady getting stomped the fuck out, you need to at least assess the situation and see if you can intervene or how you would intervene, if not physically, instead of just closing the fucking door and the other way, right? Yeah. Completely necessary. I mean, literally right? so do anything. Like, like, you know, like, make a noise. Like, distract the guy for a second. Do yes. literally fucking anything, bro. Yeah, find a pipe or something. Like, you know, like, you know, if you're worried, just go grab something, a uh, weapon nearby. Uh, so it's just yeah, really, really. Dope. And oh god. And then so that's so that's the first part. Right? We added upstander training because we were sick of like people not doing shit, even though you know when you know like fucking on their phones and just documenting. Like we were so one thing to document, right? But we we're just like, if everyone is documenting, then you don't need another person to document. Intervene, <laughs> right? If everybody's documenting and nobody's doing anything, you're just making a snuff film from a lot of angles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not good. Oh god, oh god, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong there, but uh, dude, yeah. So and then so that's our phase one. Our phase two is combat sports training, right? Um, I don't care if you're not going to step in the cage if you're an average Joe. I'm still going to put you through hell. You're still going to learn how to throw punches. You're still going to learn how to throw elbows. Mm-hmm. You're still going to learn how to throw knees. And you're going to learn how to shoot takedowns. Not the one with the knee on the floor, but the punch step, right? Because you need to have your legs like developed and whatnot. You want to have the physical capacity to de-escalate, right? You need to have the reflexes too. We do live training on Zoom where I punch, you you, you defend. And then we have what we call phase three. Uh, we know that there are life and death situations. So we actually train you how to use a weapon. Um, mm. Because we actually train you how to use the knife, and you're like, yeah, but what if I don't want to use a knife? This, this stuff. So I started learning Pekiti Tershikali, which is a weapon-based martial art, and they also said that I learned very... That was a style I picked up very, very quickly, according to my instructors. I don't know, it was just very intuitive. I also had 10 years of MMA training, so... Right. Uh, and also advanced pattern recognition, so I just picked up very quickly. And the thing is that, so you can... But you can also, if you don't carry a knife, or I know some people don't want to learn Kali because not that they don't want to learn, but they're not interested because when you bring it up, they're like, oh, it's the double rotund sticks that we see. Yeah, in Hollywood. But in modern day America, you can apply that shit to a pen, right? You can apply you can apply these movements the knife, right? You can apply that shit to a pen, right? You can do the same shit here. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so the stuff that's like the hammer fist, all those traditional martial arts movements, if you put a pen on a hand, now suddenly... It goes from suboptimal to super effective. Right. So we so we we cover that. So we cover essentially the entire continuum of violence. And we kind of, and that's that's sort of uh, our current version of DCC. Uh, with these recent and we've been uh, you know like I said we've trained a lot of people from scratch like people who didn't re- who would gravitate towards a self defense program that doesn't really provide the functional skills. The people if you see them on my video right you can see them shadow boxing like you know. You know, you see them shout boxing, you see them mm-hmm. reacting to punches like you would with anyone that hit an MMA chip. And they have sort of the knowledge of how to avoid situations and they know base they know basis of weapons. Right. So that's that's sort of my because the thing is is that if you are training at that level just to survive being in a cage where there are rules and a referee and weight divisions, it makes no sense to not train harder. If there are no rules and no referee and your attacker might be bigger, right? That means that if you live in what is practically a fucking war zone because of the color of your skin, you better be training. 
you 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 should actually be upping the ante and not lowering the ante. Yeah. So that's my philosophy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's gritty shit, but like, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. Like, I don't know what yeah. to tell people anymore when you know. Uh, when we're seeing how many attacks have there been even since the shooting in Atlanta? Like, yeah, I, I, like, what are you supposed to, what else are you supposed to do? And like, people <sighs> might kind of uh, blanch at the idea of carrying a knife or jabbing somebody with a pen or whatever, but it's just like, or bro, people are dying. People are being murdered. Yes. And so at that point, I feel like all bets are off. Yes. So there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. And I love to do that sort of in the time here is that, you know, from a moral standpoint, I don't want to tell people this is what you should do, right? Because in an ideal world, you know, you shouldn't have to go through all this just so that you and your mom and your grandma can fucking live, you know, and not die. (laughs) In an ideal world, the system would fix itself. You know, there would be sunshine and rainbows. We wouldn't have to worry about our terrorist attack on Capitol Hill at all. Right. You know, we wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have had to go through documenting my journey just to explain to people that anti-Asian racism is a thing, right? That, that's an ideal world, right? And that, that was a fucking tyrant journey. Okay. But also we don't live in that ideal world, right? We live in a world where that literally gave birth to someone like 45 and didn't yeah. put him, they put him in the Oval Office instead of locking him the fuck up, right? So you have to sort of recognize that's where we come from. Right. That being said, I don't think that mainstream society has fully grappled with the level of violence that Asian Americans face, even in response to a guy who's clearly over 200 pounds, stopping out a 65-year-old woman with no one else watching, and also news reports that he had a knife or that he pulled out when someone tried to intervene. I don't people. I don't think people are aware of that. Uh, even with that, and also this is in light of multiple beatings and a shooting you know what the you know what the knee-jerk responsive on, on social media is we need more bystander intervention workshops which yeah they're helpful but that's as far as you go that kind of tells like that to me tells me that these people who were suggesting that live in a different world right those workshops would be sufficient against 29 in 2019 maybe yeah. early 2020 right nowadays i am training people right i'm training people i'm training patrol groups right people who are patrol members these days and i ask myself if i'm fully prepared how can these people go through these things that don't cover violence and feel that they're ready or really look at the mirror and see that those measures are sufficient for protecting life yeah i don't it's that's that's sort of the issue our club's slogan and this is for the purpose of self-defense is that violent problems require violent solutions um this is not to say that i advocate going around punching racist nazis in the face although if you do if you do readily walk around punching nazis in the face i, I won't have anything bad to say to you right i'm not gonna have an issue <laughs> yeah uh, but but that's not what we're, we're saying that we're doing that in service of that we have to be ready for what's out there yeah, we have to be. We have to. If someone throws, right, we have to be able to do their situation awareness so that we can avoid those sucker punches, right? Avoid those sucker punches, yeah. those sucker stabs, which has almost happened to me, um, you know, twice, you know, this month, right? And then we have to, um, you're like, what? Yeah, I'll explain that later. <laughs> uh, 
And then you have, if someone throws a punch at you and you haven't been caught blindsided, you have to know how to react, how to move, and you have to know how to strike back, right? And you don't want to have to kill someone. You want to ideally train as hard so that you don't have to kill someone. But if you absolutely had to, right, multiple opponents, 30-year-old versus a 90-year-old, which unfortunately you've seen happen, yeah. you are going to have to They've end got a right, fucking right? gun. Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I'm kind I'm, of, I'm, I'm a little bit out of kumbayas at this point. You know? Yeah, I've been out of it. I've been out of it. I document what I do. I'm like, hey guys, bring your training blade here. Because what happened was was that, um, so there, so this we went from so DCC used to be just in New York, right? Right. And then there was a guy named Vichar Rapanakti. Uh, he was a Thai American, mm-hmm. and he was shoved to the he he they shoved some dude walked up to him, shoved his head to the floor. Um, in San Francisco, he, right? San Francisco. Yeah. And then it wasn't like that was it, right? Then multiple attacks started happening. It was like wave after wave. It was like a bunch of copycats. I'm like, they just got worse. And then during this, and then that's when the Oakland Brown Berets and a bunch of other groups started going to the ground. I knew some childhood friend with no comment. I'm like, guys, come to my club. Come to my club. I'll trade all of you. I'll trade all of you. And you would assume that maybe Asian Americans would find like the one, the Bobo liberals, right? Not all Asian Americans. You would assume the Bobo liberals would find a way up, be like, hey, this isn't cool, right? No. They were like, hey, if you say that if you bring attention to these crimes, you're anti-black. Don't do that. And first of all, there's a lot of problems with that. But the, one of the biggest issues was that the guy who killed Vicha was not even black. Right. He was Hispanic. Not saying that I'm justifying anti-brown racism. No, 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 no. That's not what I mean. But like, right. It's, it's a very that? delicate and very nuanced conversation because you have to point these things out, but you don't want to make it look like you're pointing the finger at any type, yeah. you know, any well, group you of people. You want to point a finger to the individual and the system that engendered it, right? right. For sure. Like, you don't want to demonize another race, but if you're assuming that speaking up for yourself means demonizing another race, then you basically screwed yourself over. Well, I mean, that's what that is a big trick that white supremacy is played on everybody yes. is it pits different groups of marginalized people against each other people so that yes. they don't realize whose boot is really on their neck yes exactly uh that that was so and so they were like oh don't bring attention to it and then they were just trying to find new ways to minimize it so i didn't want to argue i didn't want to like i already published my first story and i didn't want to like get into like some internet debate so i what i did was I made this poster. I'm like, hey guys, bring your tactical flashlight and your pen and your knife over. Even if you're new, come join because racism is so normalized that you might die tomorrow. Right. Thank you. <laughs> and I figured that that was a lot better, more effective than like posing some argument, like, you know, because you can't deny facts, right? If uh, some grad student has to go that far just to protect people, then you can't be like, you can't like use your words to weasel your way out of like that not being real. Just because was, it doesn't fit your agenda. Yeah. I was trying to pull up the stats. Uh, I was like trying to cram, uh, cram study the stats like right before we talked about, uh, you know, the the spike over the last year um, in anti Asian yeah. hate crimes. It's it's been something pretty intense. I don't know if you have the uh, the the data right off the top of your head. I'm bad at yeah, memorizing uh, that shit. Nineteen hundred percent. Nineteen hundred percent. I've heard nine hundred. Um, it's not over. I guess the only constellation is not. It's not over nine thousand. Right. Um, yeah. I don't have the. To... Uh, off the top, like you know, it's funny. You know what? I have familiar. I'm I'm familiar with footage, right? So every week, weeknight, we stu- every Friday night, not every weekend, every Friday night, we study we study footage <laughs> of how uh, attacks of how of what happens, right? Like what they could have done, situational awareness, are our people ready, and whatnot. But yeah, um. So what's interesting was was that when I first 
gave a speech um, at Rutgers University in October. Um, so how that happened was that I kept I didn't I didn't tell people about DCC. I told them it was a club for exercise and working out. And then one day I told a friend of mine, her name was Radwa, really sweet, really sweet uh, schoolmate. Um, she's uh, she's a new she's a Nubian Nubian uh, so American. So she's uh, she's black and also she's also uh, Arab. So and she lives in Staten Island, which like <laughs> yeah, I know she's been, yeah. to, she's been to hell, right? And also picture that during summer of 2020, right? That's that yeah. So she's been through a lot. So like I didn't want to like pour it on her going through and tell her like you know what the crimes have been happening and like why I've been writing club. I'm like yeah whatever. At least I can beat them up. And like I just kind of minimize it. And instead of like playing a pressure Olympics or like you know trying to be like you know like comparing our struggles she was genuinely like disgusted and horrified at what was happening, what I had to do. And like, uh, and the fact that our school never mentioned it at all. And then the media never mentioned it at all. Yeah. And she was the one who told me, you know, she was the one that made me realize that I need to speak out. And that when, you know, when she sort of vowed, when she told me that the life I lived was not normal, I started telling other people and then they were equally horrified. And that's when DCC stopped being, you know, a covert up and, you know, people, and I ended up being one of the first people to speak out in Haitian recently. And it's very interesting. And I bring this up I, and I bring her ethnicity into this because a lot of people think, oh, it's the other marginalized group's fault that uh, no one cares for us when that's not true. Right? We were tricked by the people in power, including people who look like us, you know, that yeah. that was the case when it really wasn't. And that's, one of the reasons why, you know, I kind of wrote my first, you know, one reason I read my story, it's that a lot of what has, you know, a lot of what I've done sort of outside of training people really come from the power of solidarity, right? right. Uh, realize it's sometimes because of the way the society works, it's these friendships with, you know, and learning from other people and vice versa that have sort of helped Asian Americans realize their full humanity. Can you... And uh... that can, can you talk about the sucker stabbing real quick? You said you were going to talk about, you were going to bring that up later. <laughs> so I was coming up. So this happened. So uh, this was, so I'll tell you about the first time. I'll tell you about the first time, right? Um, the first time I was getting cake from my mom, it wasn't a sucker stab, but the guy was walking, walking up to me. He was, he didn't have a mask. That's my first red flag. Cause I have right. always in my environment. This was in Manhattan <laughs> like, or where? So I changed my direction. No, this, the first one was in four cells. And I changed okay. my direction and he changes direction with me i'm like oh fuck so I, I turn around i show him the hand on my tactical pen and then and then he looks at me and then he, he and he walks the other way uh yeah because i was about to because he realized i was i a, detected him b i was ready to use something on him then another then after the unfortunate uh, mastery in atlanta you know i'm like i'm like you know we had to, I'm like all right emergency meeting fucking we gotta like all sit down process shit you know, we're like talking about how like, you know, no one speak up for us, that we got screwed by both sides. I talk about both liberals a lot, but that's under the assumption that you know how horrible 45 is and that there's a lot of Asian Americans that are like, oh, it's not, it's not, a, it's not, it's not bad that he's a China virus. He only means the Chinese. Like there's a lot of people who like still kiss his ass, which is horrible. So we were just like, we're alone in fighting this. We're alone in fighting this. And, you know, we're just processing our feelings. And I realized that I'm not the only guy in DCC that has had to use the skills. We had another guy who beat the shit out of his attacker. We had another guy who um, had to show four people that were pursuing him that he was carrying before he ran away. We had another, that was a knight. We had another person 
Same thing, but in Midtown, Bryant Park, in broad daylight, who was pursued, he had to show he was carrying a blade, and then they ran off. Wow. So this was like, <laughs> and and so the day after that meeting, right, I go to my externship, I, you know, I walk out, and I'm waiting for my mom to pick me up uh, with a car, and then this dude fucking walks up. It's not that cold outside. The guy walks up to me with, like, his right hand in his pocket. I'm like, yeah. he's like fucking walking up. he's like he's like pretty he's pretty huge and he has a hand in his pocket and i'm thinking that day hey my hands are warm why the hell is his hands in his pocket right. so he walks to me so I, I turn around i don't even flash the handle on my pen i i, I flash him a pocket clip of my blade and then he stops his tracks and then he looks the other way wow so that's i'm like okay i, I prevented basically i've had to thwart two surprise attacks in a span of one month, like, what the fuck? <laughs> so it's, and I have, I've told people about this, you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, uh, it's interesting, you know, I've told people about this, uh, not just even like in my, I've told people in my club this, so they understand how to apply situational awareness to a typical situation. Um, I'm also, uh, remember how, when I first started uh, teach, uh, teaching at DCC, I wasn't an official instructor. It was like, my coaches gave me this like unofficial blessing just because shit was that bad. They knew it was pretty horrible. Like they didn't deny it or anything. They're not Asian, but like they, they cared. They realized that right. I was trying to help people. But then I started uh, doing some continuing education for uh, this uh, program called Tiga Tactics, where it's these guys, they've like this dude who's like mastered like C-Lot, uh, Muay Thai, BJJ, and also Pekiti Kali, and like a bunch of other martial arts. He decided to basically condense it into one system. And he basically integrates it with survival tactics empty hand and also a basic weapon-based combat so i wanted i'm like oh this guy has done years of research on shit that i've only done for like less than a year let me learn from him right let me do his uh, 10 month no, 10 week course and like i learned a lot from him and i actually shared my story in his class um as well and then just so as, as an idea so you know so you know it's a way for me to not just it's a way for me to help other people understand you know like the situation they're in and what they can do to protect themselves right in how physical training, even though I didn't like get into a cage fight or a right. knife fight, you know, that can, that can save your life. All right. And, oh, and then that, and then the guy who, who did teach a Conrad, he, Conrad Boy, he apparently he noticed, uh, you know, he saw what I was doing and uh, he actually, he recently promoted me to be an official instructor for a team attacks program. Uh, so basically I matrix, I basically teach basic combats now. That's sort of what I do now. I, you know, I, I integrate all three, and I also want to encourage other people to uh, study other martial arts. That's great, man. Whatnot. Um, so, yeah. like, in the martial arts community, um, I know that there has been historically and probably indefinitely mean, continues to be a problem with um, with white supremacists, with racist people within Ooh. the actual community. Um, what's his name? Yeah. Uh, Brian Kemsley has talked about this. Um, oh, about, you know Brian Kemsley? I follow him on Instagram. Um, I think he's pretty he, rad. He's my wrestler. He's my Muay Thai coach. He's one of my Muay Thai coaches. Oh my god! Yeah. So we do the reflex. We do the reflex training where you know you read about it, right? Where like I throw a punch, they block, block mm -hmm. combos, and we even do reflex training. Nice. We got that for Brian Kemsley. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's uh, I've oh, I've never met him in person, but he seems super chill. Um, and he's like friends he's with some friends of mine, you know. So like he's you know he. He's, he's like, I, I'm like one degree away from him, basically. But I, I remember yeah, him yeah, talking, yeah, yeah. I think I last summer your... um, on Instagram about, about um, you know, 
uh, fascists and uh, proud boys and, and Nazis and white supremacists training within oh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and, yeah, and, and that being like a, you know, like a real bummer within the community. I'm wondering if you've um, experienced anything like that. I go to evolution. I go to Brian's gym. Mm. So that means no. <laughs> right. Right. But you know what I do realize? I've encountered the opposite problem. The people who talk about white supremacy, who, you know, are uh, victims of it or, you know, survivors of it, are generally the ones that are less inclined to train, right? People who are women, Asian Americans, regular people who are just concerned about their lives yeah. and their family's lives. They don't see MMA as viable for them. And that's a fucking problem. Well, I think, I mean, that's probably the the environment seems really, I don't know. It. I think yeah, that's a thing the thing that like, has, has, has caused a lot of hesitation in me personally joining up uh -huh. with, with MMA or with, with any Brazilian jiu-jitsu gyms is just like, I don't know, it's going to get real bro-y in there. And like, I, I, I've, I've kind of put it off for a long time. And then like, and then have like slowly come to realize like that's really just a stereotype and you like, you know, yeah. maybe move past that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there are some gyms that are, you know, very like evolution Muay Thai, Brandon Levi, you know, he's he 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 he's you know, he's wonderful. He's very crude and he's vulgar, just like me, but mm -hmm. he's uh but you know, he's a respectful human being and whatnot. There's there's a lot of gyms out there that are there's a lot that aren't, you know. Yeah. So, or maybe they're good fighters, and you know, socially speaking, they're not, except they're not as welcoming, and it's very unfortunate. And for me, I just, you know, I'm uh, are willing to put humanity above politics, right? Uh, when you have someone that's essentially a white supremacist or whatever, or sort of supports them, you have people who put politics before humanity, right? They'll say, "Oh, I'm not into politics," but you're okay with human rights abuses as long as it's from your politician, right? Right. It's, that's that's that 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 also leads to dogma and that's just not good for martial arts right how did martial arts become the way it is right through you know consistent evolution you know that's through evolution through you know you know introspection and whatnot through you know the will to help other people uh survive and do better yeah. and that's what we have to do that whether it's socially or whether it's through our technique or our training methods beautiful Beautiful. Well, that's great. I feel like I could talk to you for like another couple of hours, but unfortunately we have yeah. to wrap up. You gotta, you gotta go yeah. do some shit. Uh, you're, you're about to go, go do, some, yeah. do some training and stuff. So yes, I got to train um, the squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great talking to you. I know it went over the place. <laughs> that's okay. You know. That's okay. This, you know, this, this podcast is, uh, it covers a lot of things under the sun. So, um, it can, can you give us, uh, just, uh, you know, where, where our listeners might be able to find you and uh, what you do if they're interested in uh, taking some of these classes or whatever, just uh, let us know how to get in touch with you. All right. All right. So my Instagram is Henzy, H-E-N under slash C-E-E. -E. Uh, you know, my, my uh, Instagram is also Dragon Combat Club. That's the other one. Uh, you know, that's also my other, you know, official account. I would say I follow H-E-N under slash C-E-E. -E. Um, like I said, we're invite only, but we'll just like, you know, we're invite only. We want to make sure that we get to, we screen for the right people before mm. we come in. And we want to definitely like do our best to like, um, if you're curious about where to train, we want to definitely refer people to in-person gyms in addition to remote training, right? We, we want people to really experience the whole spectrum. You know, we want to learn as much as possible, right? It's for their sake. It's not for my sake. Uh, that being said, you know, uh, the last thing I want to leave with is that I think currently, I don't think so. I think everyone needs to 
you know, start doing your own combat sport training and, you know, find a right gym, find a good instructor um, and whatnot. And just, you know, put that time in, put that effort in and also not just learn how to do it, but also learn the concepts so that they can really teach other people, right? Because we need to metaphorically arm ourselves uh, because I think at this time, I think the people, the powers that be don't fully grasp the level of violence that we face. And it's really up to us to change that. Yeah. It's up to us to yeah, I mean that's that's the thing is it you know what I've learned over uh, the summer insofar as like you know mutual aid programs and and food distribution, uh, which is the thing that I got involved with over the summertime, mm-hmm. was that this year, this last year, twenty twenty, made it abundantly clear that our government doesn't give a flying fuck about any of us, and that. Yes the people who have to come to our rescue are us and that's just straight up you know what has to happen in every aspect of it so it's it's about just being on the grounds and in your community yes well grassroots you know the state doesn't protect you um and also the people who you expect to speak up for you are not going to speak up for you um you're gonna have to do that shit yourself i'm very sorry the world has to be this way but that's the world we live in and that's what we got to do so that the people we care about can sort of survive until and live to see that better day. Hell yeah, man. Well, thank you for talking. Um, this was great. Thank you. So thank you once again to Henry Zhang. Thanks to Shea Bartel for the music, the new music, the old music, all of it. Uh, if you would like to support this podcast, uh, go to patreon.com slash self worst. Uh, I've got, I got bonus content. I actually really do. Um, right after I finish recording this, I'm going to do a segment, uh, the second installment of my series of depression bangers. This one's going to be about Elliot Smith. So get excited about that shit. That's going to be fun. Uh, I don't know if you're into that. If you're one of my Patreon members, I feel like that's sort of your jam. You know what I mean? Like, you want to hear a sad guy talk about sad music? Then that's really going to be your thing. Uh, Follow me on socials. Here's my socials. Uh, On Twitter, I'm at Bradical Pearson. On Instagram... I'm also at Bradical Pearson. You can follow the show, uh, Self Worst, uh, on Instagram, just at Self Worst. Uh, I post about the show, give you some updates. Uh, sometimes I, I post some some dank sadness, depression, anxiety memes. That's all really fun. Um, and that's about it. I'm, I want to talk a little bit, though. Can I talk a little bit? Can I give you a little bit of a debriefing? Um, yeah, I love what Henry is doing with the Dragon Combat Club, but I am depressed and disgusted that he has to do this at all. That a guy who's already fucking busy has to take time out of his day to train people in self-defense because himself and people who look like him are being targeted. It's fucked up. There's people who were murdered 
in Atlanta. The 84-year-old man in San Francisco who was murdered. The 39-year-old woman in Sunset Park, right here in fucking Brooklyn, walking distance from here, who had acid thrown on her last year. The woman this fucking week in New York City who was repeatedly kicked on the ground in broad daylight. They were all just trying to live their fucking lives. Mind their own business. Provide for their families. And what happens? It's just like, it's what's enough for fucking people? It's just... We're living in a violent situation. In a violent country. And it's a country with a history of violence. I'm sorry. I've said it I don't know how many times. But Trump and his presidency was not the illness. It's a symptom. It's a particularly grotesque symptom but it's a symptom there's a long lineage of racism and violence in this country and we're just gonna have to reckon with it i don't i i don't have time to go into all of it i I can give you some broad strokes i have some shit written down here you could do a whole episode on the history of anti-Asian racism in this country. You could do a whole fucking podcast about it. The Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. The Yellow Peril in the late 1800s. Here's a fun one. Look up the Rock Springs Massacre in 1885. 28 people were murdered for being Chinese. Internment camps, Japanese internment internment camps during World War II, 1942 to 1945. Japanese American citizens were incarcerated just for being Japanese. And that's just domestically. If you think about the repercussions globally of America's imperialism, think about the Korean War. 33,000 American GIs were killed in that war. But 5 million people were killed overall, total. 2.5 million civilians. That's 10% of the population. Vietnam, 47,000 Americans were killed. Two million civilians. I mean, just think about what that does to a fucking place. Oh, and then there's Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Well over 100,000 people were killed. Civilian targets with a nuclear weapon. Awkward. People get really uncomfortable when... The United States foreign and domestic policy is criticized. Not everybody, but a lot of people just, they get real uncomfortable. They get real salty. And I get it on some level. You want to believe in the just world fallacy. 
you want to believe that you're on the good team and the founding fathers were so wholesome and noble and the history of this country is one of courage and ingenuity and determination but honestly like why are you tying your self-worth to the country you live in that you were probably born in it was the lottery you just you happened to be like congrats i guess you happen to be born in the united states good job you had nothing to do with that shit Don't you have anything else going on? Why does it matter that the country you live in is a fucked up place? That the founding fathers were slave owners and shitty people? Who cares? It's kind of pathetic, I gotta say. I know that there's a human impulse to worship heroes, but it really has got to stop. We have to grow up. We have to put on our big boy pants and deal with our history. Otherwise, it's just going to keep fucking happening. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Doesn't mean that you yourself are a racist. And of course, there are valid criticisms of the quote unquote other side of the CCP, of the Viet Cong, of North Korea. Bad shit happening there. Really authoritarian shit. Not good. But why is it that anytime I hear people talk about that, Americans talk about communist China, it's always steeped in some jingoistic, super pro-American patriotic bullshit. Like, I never hear anybody who's criticizing China for their treatment of the I don't know how to pronounce it. The Uyghurs, the 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 uh, the Muslims living in China that are allegedly being put in concentration camps, the organ harvesting, the suicides at iPhone factories, like the nets they have to put up on the windows. Which, by the way, who who pray tell are they making the iPhones for? Anyway, I don't hear anybody bringing up human rights violations in Asia ever talk about what's happening in the United States, historically and currently, or any Western country for that matter. So then what happens? We hear shit like China created COVID in a fucking lab, and simultaneously it was because they eat bats. So which is it? Is it a like dirty country where they eat the wrong animals that they're not supposed to eat? Like normal people like us, we just eat pigs and chickens, so we're okay. They eat other things or whatever, so they're weird. Or they it was some insidious, nefarious shit. They put it together in a lab. I had someone tell me to my face that China purposely created COVID. And unleashed it and would kill a bunch of their own people just to start a pandemic that would disrupt the economy and fuck up the world as it has. To what end, I couldn't tell you. Because I shut them up very quick. I mean, obviously, the idea that it was created on purpose as a bioweapon is fucking ridiculous. I mean, first of all, there are much deadlier viruses... I don't know. Let's not even fucking go into that. I don't even want (sighs) to. 
what all this really does, though, all the finger pointing towards a different country for being at fault, it very conveniently takes the heat off the United States and our own government's complete non-response to this crisis. Oh, there's a deadly pandemic? Yeah, sorry, we can't pay you to stay home because some rich people got to make some more money. So, yeah, you're going to have to go out and die for the economy. Sorry. Look, I understand that you have like a pre-existing condition and you're a public worker, but the wheels of capitalism got to keep on turning. So, you know, how about we call you a hero and an essential worker for a few months? Will that make you feel better about things? Or... We could conveniently pin all of this on a scapegoat. On a shady country that's to blame for covering up the death toll, the severity. There's a nice boogeyman, an other, to blame it on. Isn't that nice? And it's not going to be fucking... Nobody's going to... Your average Joe American isn't going to take it out on the CCP. They have nukes. So what's your average dude going to do about that shit? So where does this shit roll? It rolls downhill. On Asian American folks trying to live their goddamn lives. So, dear listener, what do we good people do? Us wonderful, woke allies. This sounds like a silly fucking cliche. It sounds, I know this sounds ridiculous before I even say it, but I love Martin Luther King. I've read his books. I've listened to his speeches. I have nothing but respect. But the thing that drives me crazy is that he's venerated as this amazing, heroic figure. Often, maybe even usually, by the same people who will vilify Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, Bobby Seale, Angela Davis, the Black Panthers, BLM. And why do they vilify those people? Because they were like, scary and radical and had guns and shit and weren't opposed to using violence to achieve their ends and that's just not how we do it here apparently that's you know not the civilized American noble way of doing things and it begs the question why are the oppressed the ones that always have to turn the other cheek and choose nonviolence? I am very nonviolent. I don't like fucking violence. I don't want to go out and start fights with people. I certainly don't want to have a gun in my house. But I've fucking thought about it. Not gonna lie. Because the world fucking isn't nonviolent. Hey, pop quiz, what happened to MLK after his dedication to nonviolence and loving his enemy and his oppressor? 
Oh, they killed him anyway. That's the bottom fucking line. They'll kill you anyway. Whether you're nice or not, whether you're respectable or civil or polite or a model fucking minority, they'll dehumanize you and they'll brutalize you. It's all well and good to have civil conversations, to vote, to engage in electoral politics, to have those discussions, the difficult discussions with your friends and family and coworkers and peers. By all means, do that. But if you see right in front of you, your own, with your own eyes, an Asian woman, a tiny Asian woman being stomped out in broad daylight by a six foot man, what do you do? You walk up to him and you show him a nice pastel infographic that you have on your Instagram stories. He's kind of past that. When white supremacists march in your town and they come in their Kevlar and helmets, carrying guns, marching under flags to intimidate people. Literally a paramilitary. I think we're kind of past the point of respectable debate with those people. Sorry. Slow, incremental change, you know, it has its place. And we engage with those folks who are not already down the dark rabbit hole. And hopefully change hearts and minds and slowly society evolves. And things get better over time, over, but it takes decades and in the meantime, people are being hurt now. People are dying now. So then there's that scary fucking buzzword that comes into place to deal with it. Radicalism. Woo. But we're facing urgent problems and we need urgent solutions. So, when any marginalized community is under attack and takes it upon themselves to defend themselves, I really hope that the rest of us can show up as allies. I guess that's about all I have to say. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, beat the fuck out of a racist. Mm -hmm.